Welcome back to the Future Cities Podcast, the show where we talk about making cities more resilient to extreme weather events. And we're kicking off things this week with a discussion on the ways that resilient development plans are formed. And in it, and I will try to pronounce this as Canadianly as possible, Matt Fagan and Sam Markoff will lead a discussion between uh, other Eurex SRN researchers on a number of topics concerned with innovation regarding equity. In particular, they're thinking about who is and who is not represented in plans for resilient development. They will also discuss how this representation determines who is harmed or benefited by plans and how we can change the way we plan in order to ensure more representative and equitable outcomes. Without further ado, we'll hand it off to Matt. We're having a discussion today as part of the Future Cities podcast on innovation for urban resilience and social equity and what that means. And we have a number of postdocs and grad students here in the room and online to share some views on this challenge. My name is Matt Fagan and I'm a postdoc at ASU working with transitions and implementation with the Urban Resilience to Extreme Sustainability Research Network. And uh, I'm Sam Markoff. I'm also a postdoc here at Arizona State University and I work on resilient uh, urban infrastructure systems. My name is Darren Wall. I am a PhD student at Fordham State University and a UREX fellow. Um, and I work mostly in um, the conceptualization and of uh, vulnerability in cities. And hi, I'm Alice Brawley Tesroth. I'm also a Portland State University PhD student in urban studies. And I'm interested mostly in the culture of infrastructure organizations and how that um, affects uh, cities' ability to become more resilient. Hello all, I'm Marissa Matzler. I am a postdoc at the Cary Institute in New York. Uh, I'm also a part of the, uh, the postdoc on the Sustainability Research Network and I look at uh, green infrastructure policy in cities and uh, how we can help mainstream green infrastructure into the future. I'm gonna kick us off with a uh, short quote from Cecil B. Corbin from the organization We Act for Environmental Justice, who spoke at our all-hands meeting in March in New York City, March 2017. This is what he had to say. The community that I come from, Harlem, uh, where my family's roots have been since uh, the early 1930s, is really one that... um, has seen a set of transformations, and some of those transformations have been for the good, um, and some of them have not. But one thing that has been consistent about those transformations is that often they have not relied upon or tapped into the expertise of those residents that have lived in those streets and on those corners and in those neighborhoods over time. And that is true of how climate resilience uh, is also developed, or policies around climate resilience have been also be- developed. But if we are to really create systemic change in communities, we need to be able to sort of go beyond sort of those who claim to be the experts about how to either refashion, rebuild, or make our communities more resilient. So, Alice, let's start with you. How do you respond to that comment by Cecil Corp? You know, I come from the infrastructure world, and we like to think of ourselves as experts. You know, we've spent a lot of time being educated, um, coming to understand the infrastructure, and I think it's only very recently that we've really started to recognize that we're not experts on equity, and we're not experts on what the community wants. And I think it's a very uncomfortable place for infrastructure people to be. 
And so it's, I think this is a very astute observation that, you know, we have a hard time even gathering information about what the community wants because that's not a traditional thing for us to do. And so even when we start looking at community needs and equity, we, we look for the expert. We look for who is the expert in that. And so just hearing things like this and recognizing that the experts are the people who live there themselves is something that we really are still grappling with and trying to figure out how to work with that. Things about that, um, what you were saying, Alice, is, is how to react to and integrate feedback from communities. Because I think there's also been um, a recognition within uh, some parts of the ecology community, particularly the urban ecologists, because they're already focused in on, on cities and thinking about people. And they're saying things, you know, they're trying to respond to what the community is saying. And I think one of the interesting things, and um, somebody just at the ecology conference was just last week, a really big ecology conference, thousands of ecologists uh, in Portland, Oregon, um, and, and someone was just saying, you know, we we often want community feedback, and then when we get it, uh, we, we, we don't like the answer. And so one of the biggest things that ecologists are struggling with, um, I think particularly with green infrastructure, is this idea that people on the street don't like the plants that we like, that we like to put in the urban area. You know, they look weedy or, or gross, or just they're not aesthetically pleasing to a bunch of different groups, or they don't have significance for those groups. And um, one of the struggles there is, is how to incorporate those, really listen to that response, and really put that into design. That's been a very interesting, I thought that was a really astute comment and something, you know, people are really thinking about this. Uh, how do we integrate answers that we don't want from the community as experts? I also think it challenges the idea of what kind of, what is the information that we need and use to make make policy decisions or to make uh, um, investment decisions or um, or design plans around urban um, change or, or development. Um, I think that's, you know, this idea of expert-driven stuff is great and maybe a lot simpler and more functional um, and can take maybe less but but what is it that we actually need to know? And then I and then I think the second part of his comment brings in the question of of who is any of this for? And you know where does the money come from? You know what are their intentions behind it? Um, you know when he says something about our communities and and resilience, you know what exactly does that mean? And what are the short-term and long-term consequences of the things that, you know, the interventions that, that we are planning and, um, and implement? The response I just gave, you know, Darren, it's, it's really interesting because um, I'm still assuming this, uh, the community gives input into the expert space and then the expert makes the decision. And I, I also uh, feel that that is probably that in and of itself is a problem. Yeah, that's so true, but you know, we still have to recognize that, especially when we're talking about the built environment, there are some things that you really do have to leave to the experts. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about a building. You need to have a structural engineer and an architect involved. They have to make some of the decisions, but the question is which decisions 
are really expert decisions and which decisions are community decisions and which are a hybrid of both and how do you handle all of those different types of decisions. And I think the, the um, I mean, one, one of the problems is, is uh, and I think that, that, that he kind of brings up as well is this idea of, of voice, like whose voices do we hear and do we listen to and do we, and, and then how, how do we, how do we get the voices that we need at the kind of decision-making table, and then what are the are there issues within that? Like, how do you seek out voices, or um, you know, you know, who are if there's ten seats at the table, like who should those ten seats go to, and how do we know that? Um, and uh, you know, I think I think one of the things that our science tries to oftentimes stay away from is Politics. I mean, we, we like to say that we influence policy and can engage with, you know, policy decision makings, but we, we get really skittish around the idea of politics. And, um, and I think that's a mistake. Uh, and I think that he is also saying that, that you can't separate the two because, you know, the outcomes are important. Are mission on our website states uh, that our mission is to link scholars with city and community practitioners to produce resilient infrastructure, data, models, images, maps, stories, and on-the-ground projects in 10 cities to accelerate innovative urban sustainability knowledge and application. Why do we need to be thinking about gentrification and talking about social equity in the context of a project like this? The most obvious answer is that um, the default has always been not to think about these problems, and that's why we have so much inequality and so much um, unplanned gentrification. And, and so, you know, we're at least at the point now where we're starting to realize that we can't just ignore it and think it's going to go away. And I think that uh, additionally, I mean, if we're if we're talking about, you know, from a very just even just a very technological standpoint, I would say um, the infrastructure uh, has to function has to function with communities. Um, there, there's a lot of interaction there. So actually, our infrastructure will not does not function appropriately when we have social inequality uh, and we have these issues because people do things uh, in in these systems and they are you know. Um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, will change the actual function of our infrastructure. Uh, I think we, we see that happen again and again, and that's a, you know, if we're going to make infrastructure better, then we, it, we just have to address it. Well, I think there's, there's two sides to that coin. I mean, yes, the people interacting with it will change what the infrastructure does and how it functions, especially in relation to green infrastructure. Um, but on the other hand, infrastructure will change what people can do also. And so you have to look at both sides of that coin and say, um, and that's where gentrification comes in and say, you know, if we put in, you know, if we decide that there's a, a certain community that's been underserved and so we're going to put in the newest, flashiest, most wonderful thing and it ends up raising property values and because most of them are renters, they basically get pushed out because now it's a place that people want to be and it has this really cool stuff and, you know, I mean, it's the old story with gentrification, but um, what do you do with that when you're really honestly trying to make the community more resilient and in doing so you make it re more resilient for the new people who have money that move in. You know the the conflict that we as researchers are I think confronted with a lot of the time I mean um, 
if we're looking for sustainability and resilience, well, um, the, the the tricky question that always that always I feel like is kind of hanging over our research is the is the for whom and you know so ultimately who wins if you know if the work that we do you know if our recommendations and the science that we present to whoever you know is is taken into account and adaptations are made and communities are invested in or, or whatever become less vulnerable to extreme events or 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 heat or drought or whatever um, who ultimately ends up winning and I think that when we kind of ignore that um, then these processes gentrification and social equity are you know they just that's that's the process of of our society and it and if we don't take it into our into account in our science then then we're missing really vital pieces of I mean from my perspective in, interested in vulnerability and in urban context like you know that's just moving the vulnerability around it's not actually addressing it in any way and and that's that's where I think too like you know ignoring these things it's um, you know in the context of the science that we're doing if we're you know doing ecosystem ecology or urban planning or infrastructure uh, design and engineering it's actually it's, it's bad science to ignore these factors because I think that's that's sort of what I was thinking about with like you know um, these social systems are impacting the function of these things and so if our science ignores them then it actually becomes not great science you know we're not we're, we're turning a blind eye to certain things obviously when we're doing science we have to draw boundaries around our system but I think that this is this is a big a, a big mistake um, and and really doesn't we don't get good science on the other side you know garbage in garbage out of the model if we're not if we're not taking into account these things then it's garbage out for us and I think another piece of this is that you know we as university researchers um, and scientists we're really kind of the only ones that are going to do this um, the infrastructure organizations themselves they don't have expertise in this area they don't really know what to do they know it's a problem but they don't have the answers because it's not the kind of things that they've dealt with um, before at least not dealt with successfully before and so they're really looking to the academic community to start diving into these types of issues and, and coming up with some sorts of answers um, people have tried very hard to improve communities without um, initiating gentrification and I don't think anybody's been particularly successful yet and so it really still takes new ideas and that's um, a lot of what research in universities are all about. Well I think that's a really interesting question because certainly we are in the position to um, be dealt a role in thinking about these questions but you also hit on the fact that uh, uh, not necessarily uh, there there's not necessarily been huge amounts of success so there are not necessarily um, clear models of what being dealt this role in the past has led to in terms of great um, forms of urban development that don't displace the most vulnerable and poor populations out of the city and so um, it, it, it you know uh, definitely puts a challenge on both 
us figuring out, so what would it mean to intervene better, but also maybe in figuring out why have past interventions not necessarily produced the desired results? Because without asking that question, it seems that we're going in blind. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if you guys have any ideas, but um, the one part that I would kind of put on the table is, again, if you look around the room, uh, we're a room of, of white people who come largely, although I might be making some assumptions, from a bit of a middle class background. And um, are we in the right position to be uh, playing a role in challenging processes of urban development from a gentrification perspective or an anti-displacement perspective? And, and so what's our starting point? You know, and like uh, historically, are people in municipalities and in academic institutions already um, sort of privileging a certain set of, of assumptions and ideas and practices and groups um, by virtue of the way that those institutions have also systematically excluded groups of people in the past who are the very same that are being pushed out of the city now. And, and so anyway, um, yeah, like, I, I think that we have an important role to play, but we also have an important role to reflect on the ineffectiveness of our of our playing that role historically, and what would it mean to do something different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was um, reflecting back on on uh, Cecil Cecil's comments earlier, and um, you know, so our network is. When we say uh, we want to build urban resilience, um, we are saying it's res urban resilience to extreme events and extreme weather and, and uh, that, that may or may not be a result from climate change, et cetera. And, but but when, we get to the, when we get to this level, we get to the community level and we're talking about these kinds of social processes, I mean, you know, that question of, of resilience to what I think shifts quite a bit, and and maybe the threat, the real threat to these communities, and the real threat to to um, uh, like the the longevity and sustainability of, of um, diversity in cities, and and uh, that kind of thing that we are we're saying we we value is is not. Extreme weather or or a hurricane. It's it's the you know it's these uh, built-in processes of of privilege and you know that come from privilege and economics and institutionalized racism and and all of these things that make these neighborhoods vulnerable and they are vulnerable to um, you know people with more privilege and more power and more access to government and more access to resources. Um, so, so, you know, well, I think that's true, but there's also the element that when the extreme weather comes, they're also the most vulnerable populations. Um, you know, Matt mentioned that we're all middle class and so we have insurance on our homes, on our cars. Um, if something happens tomorrow and I have to take off somewhere and live in a hotel for a week or a month, I can afford that. Um, it's not going to completely break me. And so I think there is still 
a role of thinking about how we can have resilience to extreme events. Um, you know, Darren, you're absolutely right. It might not be the number one thing on their minds, but if we're set up as an organization to look at what's happening with extreme events, then we have to make sure our piece of this larger problem doesn't exacerbate the larger problem. And I think that's really um, where I think this, uh, this URX has a role. I don't think that I was saying that we don't, we don't have a role, but, but I think as we are looking across, across scales and, and, you know, and we, we claim to be system scientists, so um, you know, having, having the, like integrating the actual complexity of, of these processes into our science is, um, it's a huge, huge undertaking and I, I have no idea how necessarily to do it, but, but um, you know, if, if, the, if the interventions and stuff keep failing and, and we come up with outcomes that we don't want, you know, if, if, our, gar if our science continues to be garbage, then, then how do we, you know, how do we clean it up? Like, how do we unfunk <laughs> what we're doing? Um, well, mm -hmm. what I hear you saying in some ways is that if we back up what produces the vulnerability to extreme weather events um, and uh, find that centrally at the core of that vulnerability is a social process of um, exclusion, of discrimination, of pushing people into the most, um, the least suitable places for housing um, because they can't afford to be anywhere else in the city. And then along comes Katrina or along comes any uh, extreme weather event. Well, those people are going to be much worse off than uh, a lot of other people, though a lot of people are going to suffer everywhere. Um, that suggests then that, you know, part of our complexity sustainability science means addressing those economic social processes that are producing vulnerability in the first place. And if we come sweeping in afterwards and sort of don't look at that history and just say, okay, we're going to help these populations become more resilient or something like that, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like a little, um, uh, we're jumping in at a place where it looks like it's an important place to jump in without necessarily looking at our own roles already in producing that problem in the first place or so, something like is that mm -hmm. what I hear you saying? No, it, exactly. And so I think, um, you know, I think I think the the idea of uh, you know where where are we putting um, the concepts of social equity and social justice in our science? You know, and how embedded is it in our processes and conversations and the, the you know, the, in, our, in our data and our analysis? You know, where is that? And I, I don't know. I don't know where it belongs. But um, maybe there are places that it, you know, those discussions need to happen sooner or they need to happen more regularly or they need to be like, you know, we're not using the right information, kind of as, as uh, Cecil was saying, but I'm not sure. But the idea is that, that you know, if we keep kind of just doing our, our science and then, you know, towards the end think of, hmm, you know, so how do we tweak this to get some sort of social equity and social justice, 
then I, th I think we're I think we're we've waited too long to address it, and I don't know. Um, I don't even know where to like how you know how do we shift our processes? Like you know like we're talking about um, uh, like changing. I think I I think we're talking about you know. When we talk about transforming society, I think we're also talking about transforming the way that we um, think about it and analyze it and engage with it. Um, and that means changing our science as well. I think that's really interesting that you talk about the, the placement of this, uh, of this, this idea, because that's, that's kind of interesting. Maybe there's, I think it's, kind of, it's hopeful because I see this transition um, as, as I've been in school and, and talking with people again about I've been in this urban ecology space where it's moved from we're not it's it's not in any discussions to it becomes the footnote at the end of the talk like oh here's all these things oh yeah we should think about social equity too hmm. you know we kind of throw it out there but it's sort of like once you say it then you can it's like checking the box okay we said it out loud but we're not really integrating it so now maybe we're at this point where we're really needing to figure out okay we're, we're being serious about this we want it to be in there what, where is the place? Where does it come in, in our, in our methodologies? Where does it come in? We need to get like really specific in there. So I like the way you said that. What is the place that it needs to be in, in our science? I think maybe that's the new question that we have. Not whether or not it should be there. Um, I think a lot of people are on board, but, but where, how? I'd be interested to hear more from everyone and kind of, you know, what you think successful urban resilience could look like or what are some next steps that we can take as researchers or as you know city citizens in general to kind of keep moving towards you know uh, in the right direction I think you know that that's why we're here having this conversation is I think like you know the conversation is the, the first step in this but the, do you guys have any thoughts on you know where you'd like to see this going or what, what do you ultimately sort of envision as being urban resilience for everybody, basically. So I don't know exactly what urban resilience looks like, um, but, you know, I, I think where we would need to go is to have the conversation start differently. Um, you know, it's sort of like what Marissa was saying, where is the appropriate place to start thinking about equity um, and social issues? And I think it's at the very beginning when you're forming your questions that you're going to answer. Um, you know, it, it's it's a hard thing to think of in the infrastructure world. I come from water and wastewater infrastructure, and it's it's unseen, it's buried, literally, um, most of it. And so we think we know all of the questions as well as the answers. Um, and we need to really start from a different place and say, start with what are the community needs? Um, what does the community value? Um, what do we really need to be providing for people? And then formulate the specific sort of engineering questions um, that we're going to answer. Um, and then, you know, check in every step along the way. Are we still focusing on the right thing? Has the community changed? Um, you know, I think that's really my vision of a, a more equitable and resilient society is to always make sure you touch in and start with what is good for the community from the community's point of view. Do you have any ideas about like a good place to start that conversation again, I mean, do, do we do we need to sort of rethink how we educate engineers and you know incorporate sort of more social concepts, social consciousness into the engineering curriculum, or is there interventions that can happen 
you know, in the workforce and just a matter of uh, having these dialogues with, the, you know, the, the infrastructure designers and the community members? Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, if I had an answer, I would probably already have my PhD. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it gets back I think it gets back to what Marissa was saying, that it has been evolving. And the more we have these conversations, the more it does evolve. Um, I would love to see something different in the engineering curriculum. Um, I think it's a little too technically focused in some ways, but that's why it attracts the people that it, it attracts now. Um, and just even requiring every engineer to take one class that says, what does this all mean? Um, I think would be a great start, and then you would see changes throughout the decades. It's not something that's going to happen tomorrow, regardless of how much we talk about it. But, you know, we are thrown into having to deal with it somehow by virtue of being, well, for one thing, paid to work on this project. And therefore, um, we are going to have to act in one way or another. and. Our, our actions are going to, by default, fit into the standard patterns through which action has happened in the past on these kinds of issues. And so, you know, if that's problematic to us, it raises, you know, questions about, so what does it mean to voice dissent or what does it mean to open spaces where some attention can be drawn to the problems of, of received practices um, as a way of not necessarily rejecting them, but of, of owning them or steering them or having some capacity to have some agency in the process. Um, so um, I struggle with that kind of a challenge all the time. Um, and at times it can feel like just trying to bring that conversation up is taking away from the objective or goal of the project. At other times, it can feel like a complaint or uh, a criticism um, and um, that doesn't necessarily have a practical answer. And so if you don't have the practical next step, then, then you know, don't put the brakes on kind of thing, you know? And so, um, I really think it's not an easy thing, um, and yet it's one that we are thrown into. So we have to do something. Um. Yeah, I definitely, I feel that a lot of times because it is tricky because I don't have this, like you said, this practical answer as to what the next step should be. And so in my current role where I'm at, like in the meetings, you know, we have to get things done, get the products. Okay, what's going to be the outcome? What's going to be the outcome? And so to say like, oh, wait a minute, we haven't really been looking at this social equity question and it's not integrated in what we're doing. If there's not a practical next step there, it's very hard to continue along that line of thought because we also, yeah, we're, it's our job. We're, we're moving forward. We have to produce outcomes and products. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting um, part of this as well. well. From your last comment, Matt, I, um, I think the word agency is kind of like hanging around in my brain and um, the idea of agency and, and power uh, and, and how, how our work engages with agency and power I think is really important. Um, and uh, the, you know, when we talk about you know, outcomes or impacts or whatever we're trying to do for our research, 
um, I would really like to see the agency components of of that work. Um, you know, and 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 as far as we can with kind of short term and long term. Um, uh, I, I don't know what that looks like, but but I know that our work has agency um, elements in it, and we just don't talk about them. Um, so that's what I would like to see a bit more. Cool. Marissa Rallis? It makes me think that there can be a potentially a structured way to do this. I think I, it always feels to me like it's sort of, as you were saying, like a like a critique or a push or we're always like we are going against the grain or we have to, that's how this has to come about. But what would be really fabulous is a more structured approach or at least in, in my mind and thinking about the research structure, if we're really going to place this in our research questions, um, it's interesting to think about how that can be a structured part of our communication as a, as a group and as a, um, as a larger network. Um, which I think I, I think that that is that is happening in a lot of you know with the grad students and and the postdocs, um, and I'd like to get more engaged in some of some of that structure um, moving forward. And also to echo Darren that you know making some of our outputs, uh, if, if it if it says like this is the output, you know thou shalt do this, then then that helps a lot too. You know if we have agency um, goals and targets. I mean, I maybe have an overly structural view of how to move these things forward, but I think it's always kind of nice to, if you have that, like, code or rule in there, then it just helps us move towards that. So. Yeah, and I, that's a really good point, because I've been trying to think of, like, concrete specific steps we could take, and it's, it's a very hard thing to do. I like what you're saying about having sort of a rule, and I'm wondering if we've looked at, you know, we're supposed to be co-producing knowledge with practitioners. How have we defined practitioners? You know, at our all-hands meeting, I think we only were allowed to have one practitioner from each community, and I think they were almost entirely city employees. Um, are we making sure that in every one of our cities, some of our practitioners are not city employees, are not um, sort of part of the power structure that are actually real community members? And I know we did have a few in New York, um, the one, of course, that was quoted here today, but, um, are we being really intentional about that? Are we making sure that's true in every city and that those voices are always heard when we're co-producing um, our research questions and then the results that come from it? This has been really interesting. Obviously, lots of points to pick up on and pursue should we uh, want to open those kinds of spaces. But thanks so much, Alice, Marissa, Darren, for uh, allowing Sam and I to host this discussion and chime in and uh, we will keep you posted on where we go from here. All right, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Matt and Sam, I believe, are planning to make more episodes about innovation and social equity, uh, drawing on examples from our various network cities, which I look forward to hearing here in the future. Yeah, me too. And for those of you curious about the release schedule, uh, we plan to release at least one episode uh, at the beginning of every month but we may have bonus episodes where we feel an episode is especially timely. It could be about a political event or an extreme weather event or whatever has caught our interest. Yeah, and if you have any questions for us about topics we've discussed or suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover in the future, uh, definitely send us a message. We have a Gmail account now at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. 
Yep, uh, and that's it for now. Uh, see you next time. Ciao. Thanks. Ciao.